Hello and welcome back to The Poet Delayed. Uh, my name is Scott Edgar, I'm the host, and um, I, as always, want to thank those of you who've taken the time to listen to my prior episodes and uh, those who've had taken an opportunity to share their thoughts or comments with me about uh, content and poetry. I really appreciate that. Uh, today, uh, in this episode, um, I'm happy to have with me uh, Adam Nissenson. He is a therapist here in Salt Lake City. His uh, therapy practice is men's work, M-E-N-S-W-R-K.com is the website, and he mainly works with men's issues, uh, sex addiction, um, what else would you say? Life transitions, sometimes creativity block, stuff like that. Okay, yeah. excellent. And so I'm, I'm excited to have him uh, with me today, especially, oh, I do want to say as well that he is also an artist, and uh, his work has been in galleries uh, throughout uh, the country. Uh, he's, he's maintained a studio for a while, is that right? Yeah. Had yeah. shows. Just actually just started a new little studio here in downtown Salt Lake, so oh. getting my creative on again. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Um, and he actually comes from a long line of artists, as he's told yeah. me. His great aunt, he said, uh, she's got some of her works hanging in the New York Museum of Fine Arts. Yeah. Your mom's artist. My mom, my uncle, yeah. So you've got... It's, it's in the blood, baby. The creative art. Yeah. Uh, the artistic creativity is in the blood. Excellent. Um, so he's here with me today. I'm really excited about it, especially considering the poem that uh, I'm going to read today and that we're going to discuss. Um, you know, we'll go ahead and get right to that. Uh, the poem that I have today... It's uh, from my book, My Mother uh, Sleeps, which I guess all my poems are so far. But anyway, so this one is called The Sadness Will Last Forever. And I'll go ahead and read that. It says, oh, and I was given some feedback by my son's friend, Ryan, to read the poetry more slowly. So, Ryan, this <laughs> is for you. I'll read it more slowly. Okay, the poem says... I feel you here. I sense your soul in the quiet darkness of the slow flow of Larone, as she wanders under your starry night, past the place of your yellow house. I sense you too in the daylight, as the yellow sun arcs through the sky of broad blue strokes. I see the fields littered with ancient Rome in your colors, yellows, greens, and blues, as if painted in windmilled paints bright and layered thick, and the heavenward sunflowers turn their heads as if searching for you, wanting to be immortalized on your canvas, but you've been gone for ages. Your sadness took you away. Now this, uh, this poem here is about Van Gogh, um, he's one of my favorite artists. I've, I've always been fascinated by Van Gogh. I, uh, the first time I ever went to uh, Musée d'Orsay in Paris. Uh, you're not allowed to take photographs there, but my wife took a picture of me just staring at one of his works. Um, you know, I mentioned this poem, you know, bright and layered thick. And that is a Van Gogh painting in my yeah. mind, bright and layered thick. Anyway, the title comes from um, something that he reportedly said, his last words to his brother Theo, um, you know, Van Gogh suffer from depression. I, I've heard him diagnosed with bipolar. Uh, I, I don't know that they know exactly what it was, but he said to his brother Van uh, Theo, 
um, after he shot himself that uh, the sadness will last forever. And I, I remember reading that, and it just breaks your heart. Mm. You know, this this yeah. guy, I mean, he's genius of an artist, never saw any success in his lifetime. But so I wrote this, I started writing this on a trip to Arles, France, which is in the south of France, and Van Gogh was actually there from 1888 to 1889. That was really a prolific period for him. In fact, if you've seen his painting, the, that cafe, that yellow, really lit up cafe, yeah. that's in a little center square there. His yellow house is there. The bedroom that he painted is Very there. Cool. Well, the house is gone. It's not there anymore. Um, but the owners of that cafe have actually painted the walls bright yellow to match his painting, which is unfortunate. Good marketing. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. Um, he had actually painted a starry night, not the one that we think of, but he painted another starry night um, over the river, which is La Ronde, that flows through there. It's just this big, slow river that flows down into the Mediterranean. But it's a beautiful place. It's really cool to be there. Um, and then you go out into the fields, and there's just ancient Rome everywhere. There's uh, aqueducts, and it's just littered with, as I say here, littered with ancient Rome. Hmm. And I just think, you know, I think of sunflowers when I think of him. Um, and the windmill paints is interesting. I, we, I, I, um, so I started this poem when we were in Arles, and then like the next year we went to Amsterdam. And, you know, he is a Dutch painter. He's from Amsterdam. Yeah, that's and, right. Or I don't know if he's from Amsterdam, but he's from, from the Netherlands. But uh, anyway, they will use windmills to grind their paints. And so that's where I got this, as if painted in windmilled paints, because that's where they, they, uh, they make their paints that way. My daughter actually bought some. She's an artist. She bought some. So anyway, so I, I've always been fascinated, like I said, with Van Gogh. I love his art. But I've always also been fascinated with him as a person. Um, when I think of Van Gogh, I think of, I mean, it's sad. I mean, he says the sadness will last forever. I just think of him as a pitiful person. I mean, not many friends. Everybody thinks of him cutting his ear off, you know, and sending yeah. it to a friend. And I mean, there's just so many. When you think of Van Gogh, you think of his style of art, and you think of somebody who's depressed, went crazy, basically, and killed himself. Yeah. You know, I, um, first of all, Scott, I love this poem. I, I uh, when you sent it to me, actually, I shared it with my fiance, and, and she was like, she knew exactly who, who it was. Like I didn't tell her, you know. That's good. Yeah, it's really good. And I just I want to share. Like, there's a part, the part where you you talk about it being bright and layered thick. And I don't know if hopefully most people listening have seen a Van Gogh in person, but it's I feel like all his paintings, like the paints an inch or two out from yeah. from the canvas or the board or whatever he painted on and. And I'll just say that, like, for me, when I go to Van Gogh exhibits or see his art, I love standing as close as I can to the painting. And I imagine that he stood in the same spot. And what he saw is he swirled the paint and moved it around. And I think that was his gift was the layers and, and the yeah. movement that it created and the energy. And um, he understood flow and, and how the eye would react to to the texture, which I think is really unique, especially today, right? We have everything's computerized, so yeah, art's changed a lot. But yeah, I love that line. Well, I've always one thing that you know when I think of Van, like for instance, you 
you you know a, compare a Van Gogh to a Vermeer. Vermeer seems to be very technical and smooth and mm. and very almost real to life. Van Gogh not so much. Right. You know, and I think of uh, like his I don't know I kind of think of his sculptor counterpart would be Rodin almost, where he just kind of hewed it out of stone. I mean, he was commissioned to do a, a statue of Balzac, the great French writer, and people were highly offended when Rodin dis, you know, displayed what he came up with. Um, almost kind of looked like uh, that guy from Despicable Me. Well, I forget what his name is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, you know, so, I, I, so I've always... And I've always been drawn more to Rodin than to, I mean, I love sculpture, but like I've always, for me at least, I've always been drawn to these more, um, uh, not necessarily, uh, um, oh, what's the word? Realistic. Monet. Impressionism. Impressionism. Yeah, I haven't, like, not necessarily impressionism, because I I think of Van Gogh different than that. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's classed as the same as they are. But anyhow, I've always, like, the roughness and the the crudeness, maybe, I don't know, of a Van Gogh or a Rodin. They just, I like the rawness. Rawness, I guess. Yeah, I think actually the, the rawness is a great way of looking at it. I, you know, I think one, for me, like, as an artist and also like as a therapist, you know, I, I grew up in, in school and in my art classes and even my parents. And it was like, I was always questioned why I was doing what I was doing with my art. And I was always kind of told to draw between the lines and Van Gogh doesn't draw between the lines. He makes, he is the line. He creates the line. He exceeds the line. The line is two dimensional in his paintings and and it's three-dimensional at the same time. And, and I think that's part of his gift. And I think that's part of maybe his mind, right, which was pretty warped, right? Like he, mm-hmm. saw, he saw the world unlike the rest of us did. But what I think is interesting, why I think he's so relevant today, is I think many of us see the world like that. We just didn't know it or understood it, you know? And I think that's like Starry Night and the Sunflowers. He took these everyday items and things that I think we often take for granted. Maybe not here in Utah, at least the stars, <laughs> right? But but I think he, he really brought them he brought them meaning and purpose and he made them they they vibrate. You know, his art vibrates. I think that's a good way to describe it. Vibrate almost I mean vibrate, resonate yeah. with with us and um, that's interesting though what you said how you know, we're drawn to it because that's how we see the world. We just don't recognize it until we see somebody display it to us or present it to us. And I've, I've experienced that. Um, like I'll, I'll have feelings and emotions that I don't understand. I just know I feel them. And then I'll hear somebody put words to them yeah. and I'm drawn to it. And I'm just like, whoa. You know, and I, I, you know, you read great literature and that happens to me a lot. You know, where I read it and I'm like, okay. I've been reading Nietzsche uh, beyond good and evil and I've read many passages I'm just about done with it and many of his passages I've read and I've thought there you go that's what I was feeling he just said it yeah. he just said it and it's resonated with me so I, I wonder though you know I've, I've had the impression like great art comes through suffering and darkness like I consider Van Gogh a very shadow person um, I don't know much about Rodin's 
Well, I do know a little bit. But I know Van Gogh was shadowy. You know, Edgar Allan Poe, even Kurt Cobain, we, you know, I sure. talked about that. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, how, how, how correlated is, like, depression and darkness to producing great art? What do you I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what it takes to make great art. I think that we've had some great artists, creative people, not only, right, that, right, that were dark, that had had lived in shadow and I think that's um, I think that's how they they expressed it right I think but I think an interesting part about um, art that we don't often think about is we think art is being creative but there's also a big part of art that's being destructive we actually have to tear you tear things down there's there's really not anything ever really that's created that doesn't involve destroying something else right if it's putting a pen to paper to write a poem and the graphite on the paper to grinding the paint in the windmill, yeah, right? To building a building, right? They have to melt the metal and create, right? There's, there's a destructive element. I think sometimes maybe that dark part is able to t- attach to that destructive aspect that, that I think it's just easier for people like that sometimes to, um, to tap into their emotions and express themselves through art and, you know, that was one of the things I think Carl Jung, um, the Swiss psychologist, was really good at tapping into with his active imagination theory and stuff like that. So so I don't know if I answer that question. I think it's a yes-no answer, yeah. right? You know? Well, because, like, for, you know, I, I've experienced both. I've experienced times where I've been so depressed or hopeless that the idea of creating anything turns my stomach like I don't want to write I don't want to do anything that is productive but there have been some times when I've felt you know depressed to where I am able to create and what I found in those situations is as I create I'm pulled out of that depression like when I when I when I write a poem like I wrote a poem recent uh, recently of a somebody close to me passed away and I um, I was, I had this connection I made in the poem where I was, I, I mentioned that, you know, he burned like a star. He was just bright in life, burned mm-hmm. like a star. And now he's gone. And then as I was trying to work this poem, I had this connection like, you know, when a star dies, we still see its light for how many years because right. it makes its yeah. way to us. And I thought, wait a second. So even though he has died, his light is still with us in our memories. Like, so the star's light comes to us as a memory of the star. And I thought, wait a second. And so, and, and it just, I was able to express how, yes, he's gone, but he's with us. His light is with us in our memories. Kind of parallel that with the star. And when, I, when that, when that uh, impression came to me, I, it, it, it like overwhelmed me. To the mm. point where I, I mean, I almost, well, I, I did. I, it overwhelmed me to the point where I started crying because it was just so powerful. And it pulled me out of this, this darkness, this sadness. And, um, and so I think, you know, working on that creativity for me in those times when I can do it, actually creating pulls me out of that depression. That's actually really beautiful. You know, I um, kind of on that same note, I was, like I alluded to like, Carl Jung and active imagination, and and I pulled up this thing that that he wrote, 
Um, and I think this might answer why usually often we relate artists to being depressed or dark, right? And, 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 and Jung wrote, he said, over time he realized that when he managed to translate his emotions into images, he was inwardly calmed and reassured. And that was just, that was through his active imagination technique. So he was able to tap into what he was feeling, not understanding it through expressing art. You know, and I think that's also why like today art therapy with children is so empowering for kids because they can actually, where they don't have words, actually even adults, right? Sometimes we don't have the words for what we're feeling, experiencing. Sometimes the words are too painful, but to draw it, and to have that energy come out of us and to share a narrative and show a story with crayons or clay or whatever, I think that, I think that, that taps us out of our mind and it puts us into our body. And when we're in our body, I think we're able to feel. And when we feel, we're not thinking because thinking usually gets in the way of what's going on. And I, I think that's another reason why artists, art moves us and the dark artists are the ones that have that share stories that maybe we're afraid to talk about or to acknowledge. That's know? a good point, and it, I think that's a really good point. Now that you mentioned it, and like with poetry, I'm able to express things poetically, uh, metaphorically, that to express literally may be too difficult to do. Um, yeah. But to your point about that darkness. I feel like I, I, I mentioned this earlier. You know, you, you you read something that somebody else has put into words, or maybe this was before you and I. Maybe you and I, I don't remember if this was before we started recording, but you know, I, I read things sometimes, um, and I there's feelings and emotions that I have that I, I I don't necessarily even know that I'm feeling them. There's just something is there, mm-hmm. and then I will hear it said or read or I'll see something that will call it forth and put words to it and I'll understand it and there's a release to it almost like okay I I've, somebody gets it I'm not alone in this feeling and so to your point I think maybe those artists who are the are, are you know tap into the shadow and they bring these dark things forward. We generally don't talk about dark things. Right. And for somebody who's struggling in that realm, I mean, we all have dark, we all have a shadow. Um, And for those of us who have a hard time talking about it, then to see it, and you only see it there, that can be uh, very comforting. Yeah, I think another way of looking at it is, I think creativity gives a voice to our hidden parts. It's it's uh, it's because some things we can't speak up, right? And and archetypally, and, and you were you brought up shadow, right? The shadow in, in Jungian, right? That's the part that we hide, repress, and deny, mm-hmm. right? And, but I think I think like that's a voice that's just as important as the good voice, if you will, right? But also, I think our society tells us we can't talk about those things. And I think that's why through art, we can see those things and it, 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 someone else is saying things that maybe we're afraid to say or own or, yeah. you know, um, 
you know, and you were, t- you know, Van Gogh's a great example for that. And a contrast, I was just in Houston and my fiance and I, we went and saw MC M. Escher, mm-hmm. you know, he's the guy, the hands drawing right, the hands right, right. and the, and you know, I, I wouldn't say that his art's dark, but his art made me think about what's real. Like, like cause he plays on the mathematics and you know, like, yeah. like stranger things, like the underneath <laughs> world and, and like staring at, at his art, like right there, it, it, it blew my mind. I, you can have something realistic drawing something that's like a stick figure that intertwines like a dog becoming a bird. and. Like that's just a whole nother element. Like what is really real, and like like it bring even brings up like what I'm seeing right now, and what you're seeing right now are two different things, right? And so someone like Escher, he would draw that. He would draw these other universes, or looking at things through spheres and questioning reality, which, yeah. Consider Salvador Dali. I mean, he to yeah, I mean to the extreme. I mean, he's same, really warping it. Same idea, yeah, yeah. Same, yeah. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, we all, like I, I grew up thinking that I should be filled with light, only light, and darkness should be basically uh, cast away. You know, darkness was evil. Shadow, I'll say shadow. Shadow was evil because, um, and that I had to be filled with light, and that was always frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. because it's not possible. You know, I mean, that's, that's I'm, I'm understanding now that in order for me to be filled with light, I have to kill off part of me, which would be the darkness. And, uh, and so I, I think while I was thinking that I had to be full of light, trying to really focus on that, I found myself, I think, I think this is probably why I was so drawn to these um, these artists like Van Gogh or, um, you know, I don't know, I look back and I think, yeah, a lot of the things that I like are, a lot of things that I was drawn to were, th- were the, these dark, shadowy, like, people who struggled. Right. You know, I, I loved the struggle. I loved Hemingway's work. Um, really, uh, yeah. Steinbeck. I, I mean, Steinbeck personally doesn't seem to have as many demons, maybe I'm wrong, but doesn't seem to have as many demons as Hemingway did. Um, he seemed a little bit more grounded, but I could be wrong. I don't know much about his life. His but. demons were just later in the book. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, but I, I think of, but I was just drawn to that stuff, and I think that was like part of me saying, "No, this you need this. This this will complete you." To to uh, quote Tom Cruise, "This will complete you." You know. Um, so you just mentioned that earlier. Like we felt like we can't talk about the darkness, and I felt like that for so long, and I think that was harmful to me yeah yeah that makes sense you know i was telling you before we started like in in my master's program my thesis was called the creative shadow and and what i realized was that the shadow the darkness or even we can say the trickster archetype or the trickster energy is is just as important part of my creativity as the gold, as the light, and and you can't have one without the other. And and one of the things I discovered, like in my thesis, and also like someone like Van Gogh and stuff, is that the trickster doesn't necessarily, or, or the shadow, the darkness doesn't maybe keep you from being creative. 
it just can redirect you. It can show you new ways. It can, it, it's there, it's there to be a muse if you want it to mm-hmm. be, right? Like, I know I'm shifting here to like thinking, I'm thinking now like creative block and shadow and, and. That's great though. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we can't have one without the other. And, and I always like, I even ask my clients this a lot, like, like what happens if you love your shadow? What happens if you love the addictive part of you? What if you love the part of you that wasn't the best person at one time in your life, right? Like, like there's gifts in that. There's gifts in your creativity. There's gifts in your healing. Like, like you can't have one without the other. And I think that's like an art. Like, like I don't think sunflower painting by Van Gogh is dark at all. Yeah, no. You know? But... He, his paintings of him without his ear, <laughs> right? He did a bunch yeah. of those. Or if if you look at, at what I um, I remember, I saw an exhibit of his of, of the bedroom, yeah. right? I don't know how many he painted of that. Yeah. Probably, knowing him, maybe hundreds. But I think this room I saw had this room at the museum had thirty or forty paintings of the room. And what I found fascinating was how he could see it different each time. And the colors were different, and everything was in the same place, but the paint strokes were different. And I think, I think that's life—how we see life, and the filters, and how we're raised, and like you were alluding to, only having light. I, I think that dictates our creativity. That dictates our world around us. So, that's interesting because I used—I've I've mentioned this before in the podcast. Like, I used to write my poetry. It used to be. I used to, I felt like I had to write it in a positive way, that it had to have a positive spin at the end. And there were a lot of darkness setting in, and then sunrise is always at the end, you know. I, I never would address, I would never ad- admit in my poetry the reality of sometimes things don't work out, sometimes yeah. your sadness will last forever. You know, I don't, I don't, I never addressed that. It was always a positive spin. And that was me trying to write my poetry as I was trying to live my life, filled with light and light only and cutting out the darkness, you know, and I still have that poetry and it's interesting to go back and read it. And it's not really you though, is it's it? It's not me. No, yeah. it's, it's, it's not me at all. It's, it's not yeah. authentic. You know, I think, um, for me, art. And or any sort of creativity is is vulnerability. And the vulnerability can be in two places. It can be in in the work you create, or it could just be in the fact that you create it and you let others see it. Like to me, that's almost more vulnerable and scary than actually making a piece of art. I think that's I can I can relate to that. Yeah. You write a you create a a piece of art, a painting that you like, and if you present it to somebody and they don't like it, they might not. Well, everyone's an expert, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like you know, because I, um, yeah, because like when you create your art or when I write poetry, it's it's generally coming from my core. You know, it's coming from mm-hmm. me, and it's, 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 especially now, it's exploring these emotions and feelings that I have, and 
if you share those and then somebody looks at it and says, eh, no thanks, I don't like it, you know, then that can be very Yeah, what hard. do you do with that, right? I don't know. You just made me, I had this, I have this, this quote here. I, I was going to, let me read it real quick. It's from French novelist uh, Emily Zola. Hopefully I said her name right. But she wrote, uh, the artist is nothing without the gift, but the gift is nothing without work. Which also, like, for me, we can talk about that if you like. I, yeah, I just well, dropped I, that on you. I, but, no, let's talk about it. But, you know, for me, what that, I think what people maybe don't realize for an artist, a creative person, is that being in creative is a gift and, and a curse at the same time. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't use that gift, it it can be um, debilitating. And like, I'll just share like for me right now, I haven't, I really stopped making my art for a while because of various personal things. And I just, like I said, I just got this studio that I just started, and, and I'm playing, and I'm not making anything that's like gallery worthwhile. And I'm struggling, and I'll I'll tell my fiance like, oh, I can't get anything. I can't get anything. But then she just reminds me, you're just playing. And and so when I go to that space of just playing and just enjoying the gift that I have, it, it changes. Yeah, it's it's for me. And I, I remember back when I did a lot of art years and years ago, I would make pieces and destroy them right away. Mm. And I'd have people not understand that. And and I think part of it is I did it for me. Like it was my healing, it was my journey, it was my exploring my inner self that that part that maybe you know i'm afraid to see some but yeah i I like that because you know like my daughter she's uh 14 years old she's a great little poet and she told me a little while back she she said dad i hate it i got into bed it's all cozy and all of a sudden these lines started coming into my head and i had to get up and go write them down I couldn't go to sleep. I had to write them down. And so I've experienced That's that. Awesome. I've experienced that where I'm, I'm like, oh, I'll just remember it tomorrow. I'll just remember it tomorrow. And I'll try to say it over and over in my head. And I just think, no, you're not going to remember it. You have to. And so I have to get them. up and I have to yeah. write it down. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a gift, but it's also work. It's, and I've spent, there, I've written some poems that I've spent months on, you know, months on, on these poems and just trying to get and it's and it's it's like work it's like ah I can't this doesn't sound right it's, it's and, deeper than work because it's personal yeah, yeah yeah you know actually and I think that the other part is that it it never sleeps mm. it's always like I have a word document on my computer that has hundreds and hundreds of ideas yeah like I could never make it all but if I didn't at least write the idea down uh-huh. it would haunt me. Well, I, same thing. I've got a notebook, and I'll write concepts for poems in there. Yeah. I, I can't sit down and f- write the poem right then. I'll just write the concept, you know. Um, and we've talked a lot about creativity as in, in relation to art, and I think a lot of people associate creativity and art. But what is your thought? How much broader is creativity than just art? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, it's... I. I'll have clients sometimes tell me, like, I'm not creative. That's what they'll say. And I'll be like, no way, man. Everybody's creative. And I, I think I think our society has labeled what creative is. Um, 
I mean, for me, creativity is anything. Creativity can be how you arrange the flowers in your garden, right? Creativity yeah. can be like how you solve a problem, you know, um, how you create patterns, how you see the world. I think I think creativity is all around us. I know we were talking about one of your poems earlier, right? And about for your scientist. Uh, yeah, she. Friend. Yeah, yeah I, I'll just relate that real quick because yeah. she. I mean, she helped me on that uh, my poem on becoming a black hole, and you know, I was reading one of her papers she presented at a conference, and it was about studying gamma ray bursts, and um, you know, is it a you know, there's short bursts, long bursts. And she was talking about how to figure out if a long burst is a result of a binary star. Uh, I don't remember if it's colliding or one of them dying. Total, but anyhow, totally over my head. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was an interesting paper. I, conceptually, I, I think I followed it, but there's a lot of math in there. But I just remember coming away from that paper thinking, because she's like on the front line of this, you know, mm -hmm. figuring this stuff out. And I came away just thinking, man such creativity is involved there i mean just okay what do we know you know what what theories what math do we know and how can we use that to figure out this problem we're trying to solve it's complete creativity you know so, and reading the paper like well let's do this this represents this 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 and i just i just remember coming away thinking how creative that she and her the people that she worked with had to had to be and like as a lawyer I, I like I, I worked for an attorney when I first got out of law school. Nobody would ever accuse him of being artistic, but he was incredibly creative as a lawyer. He yeah. could solve problems. He could find ways to, you know, get people pinned down where they like, okay, yeah, it's yeah. done. Yeah, which, right, means we're all creative. Yeah, you know, that's one of my one of my biggest things that just hurts hurts my soul when I work with a client is when they they tell me you know my parents told me I'm not creative or my parents told me to draw inside between the lines mm -hmm. right like I was saying like Van Gogh and 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 I just think like I don't think people realize like what damage that does like I don't know who any of us are to determine what's creative and what's not like if if I think it if I will it if I draw it if I solve it that's my gift to the world that's my gift to me that's my gift to others and and I, I, we're creative beings you know yeah it makes me think of you know i mentioned earlier i'm reading beyond good and evil by nietzsche and when you know, part of that book is you know beyond good and evil like we have especially in the united states you know we have this judeo-christian um um ideology ancestry ideology yeah yeah and so we view good and evil that way. But why? You know, and so there's other civilizations that have different standards and they get along just fine. And so I think taking that concept here, and, and, and that's by no means an attempt to explain beyond good and evil, but to take that concept that you know, what works for us maybe doesn't work for somebody else. And that doesn't necessarily work for every American, you know? Right. And so we need to figure out on our own, personally, individually, do we have our own standard? You know, I mean, as, as a civilization, we've got laws and things we follow. But so with art as well, I mean, 
who are we to, like you said, who are we to say that this is not creative? I mean, where would Pablo Picasso be if he right. just painted in the lines? And I used to laugh at Pablo Picasso. Yeah, I could do that. You can't do I can't no, do that. Can't. I can't do that. But it's not about being able to copy Pablo Picasso. The fact of the matter is he broke the boundaries. You know, he made things... He saw the, he saw the world differently. He saw the world differently and... Because of him, people push the bounds even further, you know, yeah. and you, you find that with music, you know, you, I mean, I was telling you earlier, we did an Elvis review of that Elvis movie, and I know there's a lot of debate, Elvis, you know, did Elvis still, you know, the, the black music, or, you know, obviously, he, oh, I don't influenced? Know, absolutely, absolutely right, yeah, right. very much, he, he was influenced by it, but, but that music, We'll just take Elvis out of the equation. That rock and roll music broke that old pattern of, I mean, teenagers are listening to big band and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. You know, and then Elvis now blows it up, and then we get the Beatles, and then we get Pink Floyd, and we get the Rolling Stones, and we get uh, uh, Led Zeppelin, and then we get into the eight. I mean, so it just, if we just stick to that little... Uh, then we're stuck. we're stuck. We don't go anywhere. We don't explore. We don't grow. Right, we're not, we don't get, I think that's the other part about creativity, I think is really important is in some countries they don't have this, but we, creativity lets us question the world around us. Yeah. Creativity lets us to push boundaries and, and to, um, and like we've been talking, express ourselves. And there's a lot of places in the world you don't get to do that. So just speaking scientifically, I mean, think about Copernicus, you know, the Copernican revolution. I mean, before him. You know, we had uh, the Earth was the center, the center of everything. Yeah, everything spun. And, you know, and then we get Copernicus come along with this heliocentric um, theory, and then he's confirmed by I think Kepler and Tycho um, Brahe. I think the risk he took. Oh, he did right? absolutely. Or any well-known artist um, that does something different, right? Yeah. Like, like we were just talking about like uh, the hip hop, the hippie, to yeah. the hippie, right? Like rap music, like. Like, I remember when rap music came out, and I remember my parents, and just like, it was awful. They, you know, like, you can't listen. They're not singing, they're just talking. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. But it, they were creative. They put together song, like words and rhymes, and they spoke of their plight and, and, and their culture and their people. And, and they're poets, I think. I mean, total poets. Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, I mean, again, I think to be creative also involves taking risks and uh, putting yourself out there, like kind of saying earlier. I think it's, um, if you don't do it, um, then you, you die with a gift. And, and to die with a gift and not to share it, I think, is a shame. You know. So what would you say to somebody who is afraid to, whether it be artistically, whether it be in work, or whether it be in creating their own boundaries, creating um, their own lifestyle? What would you say to somebody who's afraid to do that? As a therapist, what are your therapist? <laughs> That's a big question. It is a big question. Yeah. I, just, I just jumped it on yeah, you. Yeah, right? On you. Um, you know, I mean, I do a lot of this work with my clients, and it's it's around, like, the inner critic, you know, or... Or I like the term today I'm using a lot is the inner predator and the way we prey on ourselves. Mm. We keep ourselves small. I, you know, 
I think it's important to look at the root. Like, where did, where did I get the message that I can't do this or no one would like it or I'm not good enough, right? And, I mean, even creativity, you can drop it into sports, right? Oh, Designing yeah. plays and how you improvise and, you know, and I, I, think, I think a lot of our society today teaches us we're not good enough. And if you look on social media, like, that's, that's the big problem with kids today is, like, they want to try to measure up to these people that maybe, let's just say, have a fake lifestyle, mm-hmm. but yet they're also creative in their own right, right? They're putting themselves out there and developing a brand. And, and I, think it's, I think it's looking at your inner, your inner critic and understanding where that came from and where you got that message from. And, and what, you know, I, I like to say, like, what's at risk or what's the cost if you never step towards healing that? You know, like, what, what happens to you? And, and, then, and then what's the win? You know, I think when we start looking at it like that, it can really shift and, and baby steps and stuff like that. Like, I remember my first studio was in L.A. and it was in my garage, you know, and just to proclaim I'm going to have a studio and I didn't know what I was going to do was that was step one. <laughs> right. I didn't want to not. I mean, I was a fine arts major a long time ago, but that was my first attempt. And I, I think I think you just have to take that first step. I'm going to share something that happened to me this morning, actually. Um, so I woke up about 5.45, my alarm went off, and I was not about to get up. But I couldn't fall back asleep. And then I have what I call a parade of horribles come marching through my head. And I just wanted to give up on everything. Mm. I just laid there and you know we had this podcast recording scheduled for tonight and in my head I thought how oh, I could just cancel it. Um, I don't even want to do the podcast anymore. I don't want to write poetry anymore. Kind of earlier I talked about being so kind of low that I don't just nothing and that's how I felt this morning. And all paths to me seemed dark and I didn't know what to do because I felt scared I felt um, incapable of doing what I needed to do and I just laid there in bed and didn't want to get out and then the inner critic Mm -hmm. you're such an idiot you are just you're a piece of shit. I'll probably have to put an E on this. <laughs> How about a beep sound? <laughs> yeah. uh, I have to figure out how to do that. But I just, and, and I just, and I haven't done that in a long time. But that's the inner critic, yeah. just tearing myself down. To, to. Um, so how'd you get out of that? I got up and started moving. <laughs> got in your body. Yeah. Right. Got out of your head. Yeah. You yeah. And. Um, I just said, I got to get up. Swung my legs over the bed, stood up, and just started my day. And it didn't go away immediately. I It went away for a little bit, but then it came back with a vengeance a few hours ago. Um, actually, about four or five hours ago, it came back with a vengeance. And, you know, it, it's... 
I have this concept. I've talked about the Carl Malone method, you know, where I come in and I talk to myself like, Scott, hey, <laughs> you've got, you're okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. You're not, you know, th- these feelings are going to pass. And I just talk to myself. Um, you know, I, I, I always, I, I always run the, the risk of um, isolating myself, you know, and just going and just put a pillow over my head and just, you know, trying to forget everything, you know, mm-hmm. never, never works, never works. But, you know, I was able to pull out of it and coming here was, you know, extremely helpful. I, I So for me, when I get into situations like this, I, I guess this is related to creativity. When you get in a funk, it's yeah, just get stuck. keep moving, you know, and it's hard. Yeah. Sometimes it's all like, all I can do is put one foot in front of the other, you know, yeah. and so, I mean, when I get stuck, well, with creativity and with, you know, depression and things like that, I think for me, it's just try to continue moving. Or maybe one word in front of the next word. One word, yes. yes one Writing word poetry, yeah. yeah. You know, I, you know that, I mean, that funk, we all, right, we all experience it in different ways in different times. And, you know, for me, one of the things I've really learned, like with creativity and being in the funk or that inner critic and that inner critic can have anything to do with creativity and nothing to do with creativity right it's mm-hmm. just yeah. like he can pop up just with life in general right. questioning everything and i always just try to remember where i try to think like where where did this message come from like like when did it start and where did i get it and who put it on me you know, that, that's one thing I do, and I'll, I'll have my clients do that. And, and another thing I, I think is important is, is to understand that sometimes that inner critic was there to protect me. Like, he served a purpose at one yeah. point, right? And I don't need him anymore. Like, my little boy doesn't need that because I, I got this as a man, right? And, and I think... Work having that conversation, the Carmelone <laughs> technique is you have that conversation with that inner critic, have that conversation with that part that keeps you small or that part that tells you don't do it, it's stupid or no one will like it, right? Because the truth is, no one does have to like it, but you, but right. you to have that experience and you to get that opportunity to express yourself and and you get a chance to to maybe like I was saying in the beginning, to tap into a part that doesn't have a voice. So do you think it's important to find where that feeling comes from or just to recognize that it protected you at some point and that you don't need it anymore? I, or, or do you need one to go I, to the other? I think you can do either or, all the above, or have a really good therapist <laughs> to help you with that, I right? I, I, I keep saying, I don't know why... It, Everybody doesn't go to therapy. Yeah, I, I would agree, but I'm a therapist, yes, so yeah, yeah. I go to therapy too. So, yeah, yeah I think it's an, I think that's it's important to process those messages and those self-limiting beliefs, right? Like imagine, right? Like what Van Gogh didn't sell a technically he didn't sell a single yeah. painting when he was alive. His Theo basically funded him, and yep. shall we say, Bunny Ear bought his paintings, yeah. right? <laughs> Right, but imagine if Van Gogh, five, ten paintings in, said, screw this. No one's buying these. I'm never going to, right? And he quit. Yeah. We wouldn't have had this huge 
this huge gift that basically transcends time and feelings and you know so I'd say don't ever quit and don't ever worry about who your audience is because the audience really for creativity I feel only needs to be you and your heart and your wounds and your blessings and your gold and all those things and that's yeah. that's what it's there for it was the same with Kafka he, he, yeah. he was unknown when he died Shelley he was not famous when he died um, yeah so keep working um, and I think you're right because I think I, I you know when I when I try to write for other people when I try to think this doesn't sound right and I try to think of what other poets sound like I find myself getting off track you know well, it's not authentic anymore exactly. it's not you exactly so to your point you know you are your audience and I think that is the surest way I mean if you want to communicate your art to other people or whatever you have to you are your audience and then other people will I think that's you're more likely to appeal to other people I just I just heard the field of dreams build it and they will come kind of. yes exactly yeah exactly. no I think I yeah you know I, I like in my house I have these pieces of work with antlers and Noticing those. Um, you know I I loved making them I got that's the other part actually this is a great thing, part I think of creativity is I think when one is really creative and in their zone or in their flow, time becomes a mystery and you get lost in it. And yes. some of my most healing moments are when I get lost in my art. It's, it's magical. It's, it's like an intoxicating drug. And, um, but like these antler pieces, I've shown around to people. I took them to a couple galleries and I'm going to say no one liked them. I didn't get any... But what's interesting is, like, I like them, and I really don't care. And I hang them in my house, and I've had people question them, and why, and it doesn't make sense, and I'm like, I don't care. I like them. And for me, that was a huge lesson, because I always thought I had to make art for people to like and to people to want to buy. And that was my lesson of, no, I just make art for me. And if someone wants to buy it or like it, bonus. And... If you're just making what people want, what distinguishes yeah, you from anybody else? No, that's no good either, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking time to come and talk today. I think. Uh, well, let me ask you this: as as we're wrapping up here, um, let's see. What do you think is? Um, If somebody wants to explore, oh, I, I wanted to get this just a little while ago. We mm -hmm. were talking about finding what is like the, the core, the, the what what is the source, or where where is this inner critic coming from? Is there something specifically that somebody could do? If you know, I'll get a therapist, I think is probably the best answer. But if they're not in a position to do that, yeah, what, how can they go about? working towards that? That's a great question. Um, 
You know, I dabbled once in this. I know a lot of people that have done the book and the workbook series called The Artist Way. You've, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, I've not heard of it, no. Um, really good for creative work, really good for letting people understand creativity is just creativity. Um, there's tons of talented creative people out there today that have legit um, online workshops. Actually, I just purchased one because I just wanted to learn some new techniques and see another artist make art to inspire me and to learn and grow. I mean, there's so many ways. Um, a lot, there's a lot of art classes, there's writing workshops today because of COVID and so much is online now. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of resources, Scott, for if you want to dabble or explore your creativity or just even learn what is creativity within yourself. There, there's resources out there today. And if you wanted to find out where your inner critic is, why, why you have an inner critic, is there a way that, because um, you said that it can protect you, because I can see how my inner critic protected me when I was a kid. Yeah. I can see why it was there and how that kept me as a kid alive, but now as I'm an adult, it's Don't detrimental. Yeah. So is there something, something specific or just, does it, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's, I mean, is that too big of a question? Yeah, that's a big, I mean, I think. Good therapist. I, I think a therapist, totally. <laughs> I mean, look, everyone has a different kind of emotional IQ, right? And I think if you've done a lot of personal growth and stuff like that, you can probably explore that. And if not, it might be really good to have someone guide you and help you, uh, help push you towards that. I'll say that for me, I didn't start to understand that until I did get a therapist. Um, and that kind of opened up everything. You know, I I understand a lot more. And I'm a, one thing is I'm a lot more gentle with myself because, yes, the inner critic still comes like it did this morning, but I can be patient with myself and understand that that served a purpose and that now I just need to come in and Carl Malone myself and, <laughs> and work through that. So, all right. Um, any other thoughts before we wrap up here? Creativity yeah. or... You know, actually, I, I wrote up a couple questions. Okay. Because, right, as a therapist, I love asking questions. I love ask... asking questions and never having an answer, right? Uh, so as I don't a therapist. have to answer these? No, you don't. This is, this is for the millions of listeners out there right now. Wow. I didn't know you were... One day. You're bringing millions it's of listeners gonna to this? It's going to happen. Well, I think you're onto something here. So, okay, let's so, so a couple of my questions for people to think about is, is what does creativity mean to you? As we've talked about, right? It can mean right. a lot of different things. But what does it mean to you? And what's your greatest fear around cre about around creating and much less even sharing it with others, right? That brings up a lot of stories, maybe from one's childhood, right? Mm -hmm. A little fear, shame, rejection, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's a great way of maybe learning how to put yourself out into the world more, right? And, and then another question is, how does your inner critic affect your creative process? And... And where are you most sensitive to criticism, right? If you think about it, we live most of our life, we're criticized. I see things people put on Facebook and social media and just, right? It's, it's like there's no boundaries anymore, right? So, None. So understanding that and putting yourself out there, um, you know, I think are a couple of good ways of looking at creativity. Got two couple more questions. There. No, I was just going to stop there. You want me to keep going? Yeah, and then I'll post right. these. I'll post these on the episode. Sure, page. sure. So, my next question is: When did you realize you were creative, 
and how is that nurtured or not nurtured now again some people don't ever have never realized they're creative right but as we've discussed i think we all yeah. are creative in some capacity so it doesn't have to be artistic not at all or maybe you're artistic in a very personal way yeah there's many ways of looking at it and then the last question is um when and what areas are you most open to criticism as it pertains to your art so in other words being open to hearing what people say and taking it in and accepting it and it doesn't have to mean you have to change what you're doing or not but i think life right like if you have a partner or you have a boss right you're gonna get criticism in life and you're gonna be told something should be one way or the other and so how do you process that how do you take that in I read a great quote recently um, it said something along the lines I'll paraphrase it that um, just because you disagree with me doesn't mean we need to argue about it something like that it's <laughs> right. a very simple basic yeah, yeah, yeah. you know we can you can both have you know and just because somebody criticizes you that doesn't define you and that doesn't mean that what you did was wrong or bad it doesn't mean right it just means that's their opinion exactly you know and maybe their opinion has some merit that you can yeah. incorporate or grow yeah. or learn from um i'll just since throwing out quotes actually tattoo on my arms a young quote and it is pretty simple it says in creating you are created i love that and, I, and and the reason i love that is kind of goes back to what i mentioned earlier how when i feel those moments where i am depressed but i'm able to create and i'm able to write something poetry or i love to do calligraphy as well i'll take you know something i'll write calligraphy and i love to get very creative with that or what I think is creative, you know, and mm -hmm. um, and so I, I feel like when I create that, I feel like I am there, created and brought out of that depression, and I'm, you know, a new person almost. Yeah. So in creating, you are created. I think we're gonna end right there. Yeah, I think it's a good one. I think so too. <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Well, thanks, Adam. I appreciate that, yeah. and I again, I appreciate everybody who. Uh, listen to this episode and if you have any thoughts or comments uh, please uh, you can email me at poetdelayed at gmail.com and uh, until next time thank you <laughs>